0: Warren Grace Chapel. Question for you. It's like a Halloweenish question even though we're in May. What makes us afraid of the dark? Is it really the darkness itself or is it the actual act of being alone in the dark? Now October seems far off. But Eastern State Penitentiary, for those of you who are familiar with it, holds its terror behind the walls every October. It's touted as one of the premier Halton adventures in our region. I've never been to the Terror Behind the Walls, but it's Eastern State is, though, one of my favorite historical sites in Philadelphia. There's just something, I love the decay, the, the prison, the eerie ambiance it creates. Just, there's something about urban decay that fascinates me, the collision of something that we once built now being reclaimed by nature. See, I remember one year ago, Eastern State held this contest where one person would win a free pass to terror behind the walls. And that intrigued me. It wasn't necessarily because the free pass itself, what actually interests me was the nature of the pass, what it entailed. See, normally you walk through terror behind the walls in a group. You are there with a bunch of other friends and family that you do this together. But here's the catch with this free contest winner you would do the entire terror behind the walls alone. I was intrigued. I really wanted to enter because how fascinating would that be to do it alone, to actually have that real feel of being afraid in the dark alone. See, it's not really the darkness that scares us because when we're in a group with others, we are not as afraid. Darkness becomes fearful when we're the only one alone in the dark. Now, as followers of Christ, we're promised, as we walk through the dark, the very presence of God. God promises his people his presence through scripture. And the promise of his presence gives us comfort and gives us hope. So even though, as scripture says, we walk through the va- deep, dark valleys or the shadow of death. What is it, church? We fear no evil. Why? Because our God is is with us as you in the dark are you in the dark valley of the shadow of death right now do you feel alone see many of us are feeling it Christ's body is suffering under the weight of this pandemic and all the harsh realities that have come with it in many respects the pandemic itself is not the most difficult thing to bear It is all the fallout, all the results from it, the lost jobs, the social isolation, the fear, the worry, the inability to be with those we love, and the list goes on and on. A friend recently texted me, I know the body is suffering, he said, myself included. See, the body of Christ worldwide is in the valley of the shadow of death right now, but we are not alone. Even in the midst of this fearful dark of Hollow's Eve, if we listen closely, we hear the coming carols of Christmas and the promise of Emmanuel that God is with us. As we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, we have no need to fear, no need to worry, no need to despair because our God is with us. His rod and his staff comfort us. He is the good shepherd who is with his people. See... Our God comforts his people with his presence. This morning we're going to look at Isaiah 41 verses 8 through 20. If you have your Bible, open that and let's read together. Isaiah 41 verses 8 to 20. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from his farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord. In the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and the fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together that they may see and know may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Father, help us to see your comforting presence. Help us this morning to know that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning the main focus is this, our comfort and hope rests in the promise of God's presence. This morning we're going to focus on, let's say, four and a half points. The first point, God promises us his presence. This is in verses 8 through 10. This is foundational to the rest of the passage. God promises us his presence. The second point, God promises us his protection. This flows out of the promise of his presence. In verses 11 to 13, God promises us his protection. The third point, God secures our redemption because God is with us. He is the God who is with us, who saves us, who redeems us. And we'll see this in verses 14 to 16. And then the fourth point, God provides our refreshment. Because he is with us, he has promised us his presence, he will refresh us. We'll see that in verses 17 and 19. And the last point, the, the half point, if you will, it's really important. It's the point, really, the best way to describe it is the point that brings everything together, the culminating point, verse 20. God does all of this so that the world may know him. God does all of this so his glory would be shown throughout the world. But it all begins with the first point, with the comforting promise of God's presence in verses 8 to 10. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you, and not cast you off, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, God's presence is founded upon the sure election of his people. This was true for the people of Israel back in the day, and it remains true for us today. God chooses a people for his possession. And he dwells with them. He is their God, and they are his people. This is the covenant relationship of God with humanity that is foundational to Scripture. This is the doctrine of election. God chooses a people for his own possession. The electing of God is a declaration of his love for his people. So soak in the covenant electing love of God. Listen to this. I have chosen you. I took you. I called you. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. This doctrine is one of the most hopeful, comforting in all of Scripture. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today, it is because God has set his redeeming, electing love upon you. Read John 6 or hear the words with me of the Apostle Paul, who praised God for this doctrine. In Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 5, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purposes of his will. Here is why Paul expresses praise and thankfulness and why we should as well. Listen carefully. We don't get God's presence unless we first experience God's electing grace. We are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing because we have been chosen from before the foundation of the world to be holy and blame us. That should give us pause. That should stop us in his tracks. Consider, chosen in love from before the foundation of the world. Before God spoke the world into existence, before he breathed out the words, let there be He already declared that you would be his beloved child. This should cause us to overflow in worship and thankfulness. No wonder Paul can hardly contain himself. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And he's done all of this in love. Don't miss that. In love, God predestined us to be his children. He has chosen us, you, me, all who are in Christ, this act of divine love. And now, because of this great love, we are his beloved child. How great is the love of our God. See what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. But what's even more remarkable is is that he didn't just choose us and then abandon us like a deadbeat father. He chose us and became present with us. Like all of Israel, God's people are chosen. We are not cast off. We have nothing to fear. Why? Because our God is with us. He is the good shepherd who promises us his presence So brothers and sisters, this morning, we can rest assured that the same God that chose you from before the foundation of the world is the very same God who is with you now in the darkest of valleys. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He declares that I have chosen you. He says, I have took you from the ends of the earth. I have called you from the farthest corners. Therefore, he says to his people, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I, because I am the God who is with you, will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the promise of God's presence for us. The second point, if God is present with us, then God will also protect us. He promises us his protection. Look at verses 11 to 13. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. The presence of God assures his people of their protection. If God is with us, what does Paul say? Then nothing can stand against us. We have nothing to fear, but we still do. What do you fear this morning? Do you fear going back to work? Do you fear trying to find work? Do you fear giving an unseen virus to your elderly parents? Do you fear the unknown future for yourself or for your children? Maybe even as we begin talking about reopening, maybe you're afraid or a bit fearful of coming back to gathering together as God's people. Regardless of our fear, it's actually striking and remarkable and honestly a bit terrifying How quickly fear comes to rule our hearts. The Puritan John Flavel wrote a short work on fear. It's simply called A Practical Treatise on Fear. It's a helpful read during this time. I commend it to you. He helps keep things in perspective, and that right perspective is usually what makes all the difference when it comes to our level of fear. When we lose perspective, we fear. Here's how he begins. Flavel writes, Among all the creatures God has made, man is the most apt and able to be his own tormentor. And of all the scourges with which he lashes and afflicts both his mind and body, none is found so cruel and intolerable as his own fears. Isn't that so true? We are often our own worst tormentors. We beat ourselves up with constant worry and fear. Flavel continues. He says, "Fear inflicts the deepest and most dangerous wounds upon the mind of man, cutting the very nerves of his passive fortitude and bearing ability." What he says here is, other words, it robs us of our strength. That is what fear does. Fear knocks us off our feet. Fear gains ascendancy over the mind. It holds power over us, and it cripples us. It leaves us shaking and trembling with paralysis. Fear and Fear is described this way. He says, Flavel says, fear brings the evil of tomorrow upon today. Fear brings the evil of tomorrow upon today. Fear and worry are exactly what Jesus warned us about. Do not worry about your life. Can any one of you by worrying or fearing add a single hour to your life? this is exactly though what fear does it brings the evil of tomorrow whether it's real or just perceived into the reality of today flavel goes on to describe three types of fears the first one he talks about natural fear this is a fear that troubles the mind because of a pending danger this natural type of fear is not always sinful this could be fear of worry. If you're a healthcare worker with an elderly parent, you worry. It's a legitimate worry. You worry about contracting the coronavirus and passing it on to your loved one. This is a natural fear. It's an expected fear. This is a fear that you're out walking in the woods and then all of a sudden you come face to face with mama bear and her cubs. You have a natural fear there. That fear actually helps us live wisely. But there's a fine line between natural fear and the second type of fear, what he calls sinful fear. See, sinful fear flows out of unbelief. At root, sinful fear fails to trust God and puts an inordinate amount of fear upon something that doesn't deserve it. We end up fearing more than we should. We become overcome by fear. So here, if you're out in the woods, this fear, the sinful fear, is you're afraid to get out of the tent because there might be bears in the woods it's an inordinate irrational fear it's a fear that cripples us and paralyzes us and this is a fear that many of us have had during this pandemic we have so magnified the virus and magnified the news has magnified it we've minimized our God and because of that when we magnify something else besides our God what happens is that our fears are magnified and the sinful fear robs us of joy the sinful fear robs us of hope the sinful fear paralyzes us. But Flabel doesn't stop there. He ends with a third type of fear godly fear. This fear is not our torment, he says, it is our treasure. Our right fear of God actually serves as an antidote to sinful fear. It devours all of our sinful fears. This is the right fear we need to have, the fear of the Lord. It is the fear that says God is bigger than anything else we could ever worry about. The Lord is bigger than the coronavirus. He is greater than all our fears that has come from this time of pandemic. And it's not just that God is bigger, but more importantly, that God is with us and God is for us. He loves to protect his people. This spiritual fear, this godly fear of the Lord recognizes and trusts in the fact that God is our good shepherd. That he is with us. This godly fear offers us comfort and hope. Such comfort and hope is possible because the Lord promises us to be with his people. He is our great loving covenant keeping God. For I the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. God isn't just walking side by side with his people as great as that is. He is actually leading guiding, caring and protecting us with his mighty right hand as he holds our hand. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. Emmanuel is with us. Do you believe that God is with you right now, holding your right hand, protecting you this morning? If you doubt that, Let's take a few moments following Isaiah to remind ourselves of what the good and great God has already done for us. To our third point. For those of us who are often overwhelmed by fear, we need to remind ourselves of what God has already done for us. In verses 14 to 16, we see that God is our Redeemer who promises us redemption. Look at verses 14 to 16. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. You men of Israel, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord. In the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. I love how this verse starts. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. Now wait a minute, didn't God just declare his covenant love to Jacob and now he calls him a worm? This is the perspective we need. Yes, God sets his covenant love upon his people, but God's people remain nothing but worms at best. Whereas as Paul described, sinful, wayward rebels, dead in our trespasses and sins. See, worms don't deserve the eternal love of God. Rebels deserve execution and judgment, not mercy and love. But that is exactly what we have received in Christ. I'm often reminded of this remarkable passage in Scripture in Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verses 7 through 9. It says this, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. All of this is owed to God's covenant of love. We are mere worms like Jacob. We're not a great people. But like Israel, the fewest of all peoples, our redemption is because of the Lord's love for us and his covenant made with his people long ago. Because of Christ we stand in this long line of redemption. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See, God takes his people, mere worms, rebels, sinful people, and he shapes them into a weapon to shame the wise, to shame the strong. Isaiah and Paul are on the same page. And don't let it escape you how Isaiah ends in verse 16. After God takes his people and redeems them and turns them into a weapon to shame the wise and the strong, he says this, and you shall rejoice in the Lord the Holy One of Israel, you shall glory. See, God has promised us our redemption. He has secured it for us in Christ Jesus. We are the redeemed of the God of the universe. Do we really have anything to fear? We are mighty weapons in the hand of our God. Yes, we are mere worms. Yes, we are weak and foolish in the world's eyes. But in God's hands, we are crafted and shaped and molded into a powerful weapon, a weapon that destroys the foolish, the arrogant, and the strong, a weapon that declares with glory and power and might the Lord of hosts. We shall rejoice in the Lord. In him we glory. He is our great salvation. But God doesn't just save us. He saves us to a relationship with him. He saves us to restore and refresh us. Our fourth point, God promises us refreshment look at verses 17 to 19 when the poor and needy seek water and there is none And their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and the fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together. Brothers and sisters, our God is with us. Our God protects us. Our God is our Redeemer. And our God gives us all good things. His word promises us that he will refresh and restore our weary souls. When the poor and needy come to him, parched with thirst, he answers, He will not forsake us. He will open up rivers and fountains. He will turn a desert wilderness into a pool of water. Dry land into springs, overflowing springs of water. The Lord, our good shepherd, prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. We have everything we need and more. Surely his goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. If the Lord, our God, is our good shepherd, then we should be confessing that we lack nothing. He promises us that we will dwell with him in his house forever. Hear God's good words from another Psalm of David. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord. You, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Brothers and sisters, this is a call for us to come just as you are, poor and needy. Come thirsty, he will provide Come hungry, he will satisfy. Come broken, weary, and heartbreaking, he will refresh and restore you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Take refuge in him, and you will lack no good thing. Nothing. As we saw last week, Jesus extended his invitation to the poor, needy, and heavy laden. He said, come. Come unto me and receive rest come unto me and receive restoration. I am the good shepherd who leads you beside still waters. Come and be satisfied and refreshed in me. Jesus calls us to come. But he does all this for purpose. The final point, he does this so that the world may know him. Look at verse 20. That they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. See God's presence, protection, our redemption and refreshment. All have a missional focus. God is Emmanuel so that the world may know him. God is with his people so that all people may see his covenant love. God protects his people so the world may see his loving power. God redeems us so the nations may know that the hand of the Lord is good and just. God refreshes his people so the world may know that the Holy One of Israel has created, planned, and purposed all of this. Our salvation is a story of God with us. Emmanuel, the Father so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. The Son came to redeem his people. Having secured the redemption, he sends the Spirit to protect and refresh them all for the glory of his great name. See, God has always been concerned for all the nations. He desires all peoples to be saved and he works in his people so that other people may see and know that the hand of the Lord has done this he is great and greatly to be praised he is our mighty god he is our good and loving shepherd this is the god that who has saved us who has is with us in his presence with us in his protection has redeemed us and refreshed us this is the god that we are to tell to others behold this is my god Jesus himself, at the very final end of his ministry on earth, says this, Behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. We need to hear those words. We need to hold on to those words. We need to believe in and meditate upon those words, to memorize them, to emblazon those words upon our hearts. Jesus, the one sent by the Father, the one sent because of God's great covenant love, the one sent to redeem his people, the one who lives a perfect life, the life we could not live, the life that we failed to live, the one who died in our place, the one who paid our penalty, the one who bore my sin and your sin, the one who was died and abandoned and forsaken by the Father, Jesus, the one who rose again in power and might, Jesus, the one who promised the protecting and refreshing Holy Spirit, our great comfort, Jesus, the one who intercedes for us right now at this very moment at the right hand of the Father, this Jesus has promised to be with his people to the very end. Of the age. Brothers and sisters, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in his promises. Believe that he is always with his people. Believe that he is here right now with you, upholding you with his mighty right hand. Believe that he will protect you and keep you from evil. Believe that he is your salvation both now and forevermore. Believe that he is your only source of hope and comfort, your only source of refreshment and restoration. Believe that he has done all things so that the glory of his great name may be praised to a thousand generations. Give glory to his great name. Our Father, help us to glorify your name. Help us to know that you have promised us your presence. You have promised us your protection. You have secured our redemption and will continue to secure it forevermore. We are secure in your hands, your powerful, mighty right hand that holds us. Help us to know that you will refresh us when we come weary and heavy laden to you. You will restore us. Help us to know that this is all for your glory so that others may see and hear and believe and know and taste and see that you are good. Help us to live such lives that are trusting in your presence, trusting in your protection, trusting in your redemption, and trusting in your refreshment, so that we live in such ways that our neighbors see and wonder and desire. Help your glory to be made famous to the nations, even in this time. Help us, we pray, in Christ's great and glorious name. Amen.